This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Hey man, I've been loving this series that we're in, Playlist. We're taking some of those popular songs, songs that you hear on the radio, hopefully redeeming them and, and uh, kind of sharing a message from them with the hopes that you will never listen to them the same way again. And today's song was called Human, and Dave killed that song, didn't he? That was awesome. That was awesome. Love it. This is what the Bible says. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But there's a lot of times, and I don't know about you, I can speak for myself, that in my life, I don't always feel like all the old has gone. In fact, there are these tendencies for me to kind of wrestle with going back and forth with, with some of that old nature, with some of that old sin pattern that I have in my life and this new creation that I'm supposed to be. And I bet that you're not that different from me. I bet there's a lot of people in this room today that kind of feel the same way. Well, there's this guy in the Bible named Paul. He was an apostle. An apostle simply means, uh, if you're new to church, he's a church planter, right? That's what he did. He'd go around from place to place, city to city, and plant these churches uh, telling people the good news of Jesus, telling people that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was here. He, he came and lived a sinless, perfect life, died, uh, was, was raised to life, and we can put our hope and trust in him. And so he planted these churches talking about Jesus being the Messiah and coming to this earth. And, and in him, we could find grace and freedom. But a lot of times, Paul even himself would say things like, man, I don't know why it is I do what I do. The things I don't want to do are the things I end up doing. And the things I do want to do, you know, I, I don't do. So there's this battle that's going on inside. And today, I'm hoping to share with you a secret to having victory in that battle. If you have your Bible, open it up to Galatians. Galatians chapter one. And uh, let me give you a little context. Galatia is in modern day Turkey. It's just north of Israel. And Paul planted this church. And these were Gentile, um, Gentiles. And so they were new believers, right? Not really grounded in God's word, not really rooted in the faith. And so he planted this church. They met Jesus. You know, they're excited about living in freedom and this relationship now that they can have with God the Father through Jesus. And so they're pumped up. But then Paul pieces out. He takes off, and he goes to plant some other churches. Now, during this time period, another group of people come in, some already kind of followers of Jesus, some, some Jewish followers of Jesus. Now, these guys that aren't totally rooted, totally grounded in their faith are starting to get a taste from these other guys of this, this other gospel, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. And this other group comes on the scene and says, hey, it's not enough for you just to receive Jesus. 
is not enough for you to just put your faith in Jesus. There's something else that you gotta do. And this something else that you gotta do requires a little surgery, and it's called circumcision. Everyone say circumcision. I just wanted to hear you say that in church. That's funny, that's funny. But it's in the Bible, all right, so, so you're good. And if you don't know what circumcision is, you're too little, you can stop at the hub on the way out and they'll tell you, just ask them what circumcision is. But can you imagine? Like these new believers, these Gentiles, they're like all of a sudden loving God. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness of sin, all that you've given us. And now they hear, that's not enough. Now you gotta undergo a little surgery, a little, little, little snip, snip, you know, kind of thing. And for the guys, they're like, you know, forget this. I'm out of here. So attendance started dropping, right? Like if this is a requirement, you know, it's all ladies in the church. I don't know. I'm just making that up. But they added to the gospel. And so they said, this is not the true gospel. And so Paul is writing this letter. A lot of times he'd write these letters to these churches to, to encourage them, to say, hey man, well done, good job. You guys are killing it. But sometimes it was also to correct them. And they'd gotten a little off track. And so Paul, in response to hearing what's going on in this church, starts off this letter with, man, after he gets the pleasantries out of the way, man, I can't believe what's going on. Like, how did you so quickly go from loving God, thank you, Jesus, this grace that you've given me, all that, that I've experienced in you, this, this life of freedom, to now this other gospel that's not any gospel at all, really. Let's look at it. Let's read it together. Galatians chapter one, verse six. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And that, that sets up something I quick, quickly want to touch on that is a fundamental um, belief that we have here in Elevate Church, that there are really two different brands of Christianity. I don't know if you knew that. There are, are two different gospels. One is life-giving. One is filled with grace. One is marked by the fact that when you're in the real gospel, the life-giving gospel, is that you serve God, you love God, not out of duty, not out of obligation, not out of, man, you know, all these rules and regulations, and I just gotta get this, this right. The other one is based on rules. It's based on, you know, just kind of, I feel obligated to do this. You know, you're just checking a box. I checked the church box. I made it to church. Check. You know, I, I gave today. Check. You know, it's not, it's based on, on that kind of thing. It's based on duty. In fact, this is, this is kind of established in one of the first stories that we have in the Bible in the Garden of Eden where there are two trees. And I'm not going to get into a lot of this. Uh, we don't have the time to do it. But there were two trees planted right in the middle of the garden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the tree of, of life, this is the one that is life-giving. This is the one that, that your internal motivation to follow God is based on, man, just something he's done inside of you. It's not about your works. It's not about your effort. It's just built on this love relationship that you have with God. The other tree is, is the tree that lured a man. This is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it's not life-giving. It's rule-following. It's based on guilt. It's based on, on shame. It's hard to follow. So there are these two different brands of, of following God. 
And you need to know that. And with that in mind, let's look at the story. Galatians chapter two now, verse 11 says this. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation. So Paul got up in Peter's grill because Peter was a part of the problem. He says, Peter, you're out of line. Keep reading. He says, okay, here's the situation. Here's the situation. My parents left home on a week vacation and I took the keys to the brand new Porsche. Anybody? DJ, Jazzy Jeff? Nobody? No one? Okay. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, he could have named them. He didn't throw them under the bus. He said, earlier before, certain people, not saying who, but certain people came from James. Peter had come from James. Peter read read ate regularly with the non-Jews. So here's Peter's part in this story. He's hanging out with the Galatians, hanging out with these new Gentiles that have just, you know, given their life to follow Jesus, experienced all this grace and love. They're serving out of, out of, out of love, not out of duty or obligation. And he comes along, he's loving them. He's engaged with them. He's hanging with them. But look what happens next. It says, but when this other group, the other people, this conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back. So Peter, on one hand, in a moment, he's here with these, these new Christians, these new followers. Man, what a, what a great thing. And then on the other hand, this other group comes, and he pretends like he doesn't even know the guys. He pulls back, and it says, put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends, the Gentiles, that Paul started this church with. So he's hanging with them, but this other group shows up and he's like, I don't even know those guys. I'm not hanging with them doing what they're doing. It says that's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in too. So you got to picture this. These people found this new life in Christ, this gospel, this thing they've never heard before. And many of you, I mean, you've had your eyes open to the gospel and you've received Jesus and had all this, this grace, you know, just come in and flood your, your life. And now all of a sudden, all that was there, this, this spring, this life-giving gospel is gone. And they go right back into this other gospel, this rules-based gospel. There's no gospel at all. And he says, that hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas, was swept along in the charade. And so here's the big idea, and here's what I wanna talk about today, is this, how do we keep from going back? Because many of us wrestle with this, this dynamic, this, this tension where on one hand, like we're here, we're in this, this, this tree of life, we're, we're serving God, loving God, out of, you know, built out of this relationship that we have for him, but others of us, maybe it's over here, and we're rooted in this rules, regulation-based, I'm, I'm going to church because I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to church because I'm going to check a box. I'm going to be in a group because I'm going to check a box. So how do we keep from going from one to the other, and not just in our our journey with Jesus, but even in our own uh, addictions and our habits and our sin patterns in our life. How do you and I keep from falling back into that? Because the reality is, I'm, I'm no different from you. I struggle with this all the time. 
Like all the time. It was December last year. Like we were here Sunday morning, you know, just church celebrating. It was awesome. I just remember it being a great Sunday morning. People are worshiping. You know, it's loud. Everyone's engaged. The preaching was phenomenal. I'm pretty sure it was really good. Um, just kidding. I'm kidding. But it was, just, it was a great day. And I left the church still praising God, right? I'm still loving God, glory to glory. Man, we're just saying this over and over and over. And I pull out of the church and I pull out onto Peach Street. In December, during all the holiday season. And you know what? That moment left me just like that. Because not only was it just packed and bumper to bumper, you know, during that time of year, but some Yahoo pulls out behind me, right? And gets right up on my bumper, like right there. And I see him in my rear view mirror and he's like shaking his fist. He's like mad at me. He might have said, you know, give me the your number one sign. I don't know if he did or not. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm praising God. I'm like worshiping God. I don't know what we're singing. Maybe we go from glory to glory. And I'm just driving along. And I look in my rearview mirror. I see this guy. And you know how like you start to silent talk in the rearview mirror? I was like. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what did I do? Like, why are you riding me? I don't even understand this at all. And it opens up, and the lane next to me is, like, empty. And so I, I roll down the window. This is what I did this morning. I'm like, I don't really have a roll down. I don't know if anybody has it anymore. I had a button. But I, I roll down the window, and I wave him along. I'm like, come on, then. If you want to be a jerk, you know, come on, then. Come on inside of me, you know, kind of thing. And so he's coming up and all that kind of stuff. Before he pulls around, just by the way, because this is how I how I do. Uh, you can pray for me. Um, but since you're going to ride me, I'm going to go about six miles an hour. All right. So I was going like six miles an hour, just kind of waiting for the dude to go around. He finally goes around and you know, I, I'm getting ready to give him that stare. Like what's wrong with you, man? You need Jesus. You need church. We just left church. I'm going to invite you next week kind of thing. And I look at him and this guy is, is just cracking up, just laughing, pointing at me. He's like, I got you pastor. I got you. He was somebody on the serve team here at Elevate Church. And he's just dying. I think he's the funniest thing in the world. So I kicked him out of the church. I did, for real. No, I didn't. I didn't. But I thought, how quickly can I go from what an awesome day, praising God, serving God, his spirit, moving right to like in the flesh, just like that. And I feel like I'm not the only one in this room. And I think Paul gives us a glimpse into how we, how we fight that, how we go from that, how we keep from being this Tarzan the ape man, going from tree to tree, from one to the other. How do we keep from going back? How do we keep, because here's the excuse many of us give. Hey man, I'm only human after all. I'm only human. You can't blame me. So I think he gives us some insight on how to do that. And he starts with reminding them, hey, the gospel that you're following now is no gospel at all. And so he, he kind of re-explains the true gospel. Look at it in chapter two, verse 16. He says, we know very well that we're not set right with God by keeping the rules. It's not how we do it. It's not based on your work. It's not based on your actions, but only through, and I love this, personal faith 
in Jesus Christ. And he says, how do we know that? Because we've tried it. Every one of us has, has tried to be godly in, in one way or another. He says, in fact, we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. And he's referring to the Ten Commandments, kind of the, the big ten. You know, we got these to follow. And he says, convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement. I want to stop right here. Some of you, you're trying to please God by self-improvement. You're trying to please God by working your way. And he says, we can't do it. In fact, that's not what the gospel tells us at all. We believed instead in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting. All right, this is an in, in, internal thing. This has nothing to do with your external work. This has nothing to do with what you can produce by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be Good. Verse 19, he says, what actually took place is this. I tried. I tried to do this. I tried to keep the rules and work my head off and do my best to please God. But you know what I found out? It didn't work. So I quit living in this tree. I quit playing the game that it's all about rules and regulations. I quit doing this out of duty, and I went back to doing this out of delight, out of, out of what God has done for me. He said, I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man or God's woman. And that's what I want to talk about today, because I feel the tension between doing something out of duty or out of delight. I know you feel the tension. I can just as easily jump into that sin nature. I can just as easily get mad at people on, on Peach Street. So the, the question is, is there a secret? And there is. There is, and Paul gives it to us in this, this final verse of chapter two. He reveals the secret how you and I don't have to be a lawman or a religious man or someone that's not living this true gospel, and the secret is this. In fact, before we put it up there, he says it's a, it's a discipline, and this is, not, this is not going to be popular today. In fact, this is not a message that you preach if you, if you want to grow your church, to see a lot of people come through the doors. This is not it. But this is a great message if you want to see the people that are already here grow in their relationship to Jesus. That's what this is. This is not going to be popular. It's going to be challenging today. In fact, I'll say this is, this is the deep end of the pool. And everybody says, man, just give me something deep. Just give me something deep. And I don't, I don't mean deep by confuse me you know, theologically confusing to where I walk out of here and say, I have no idea what Colby said. That must have been really deep, all right? We don't do that. I believe deep is, deep is this. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Go out and live that out. That's deep. You want my opinion? That's deep. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as God would do unto you. That's deep, okay? When you are faced with a biblical truth that's hard for you to do, that's where it gets deep. Not confuse me. So today is going to be deep and challenging, but I have no doubt in my mind and in my heart that this one principle, like this one thing, if you and I can adopt this one thing and live this out, it will change our lives like nothing else will. Probably next to your decision to follow Jesus for the first time, to give your life to follow him, this is the next most important thing that you need to do 
every single day. And here it is right here, verse 20. I have been, what's that word? Crucified. See, I know that Christ was crucified. I know that because I was giving my life to that. In fact, I'm saved because of that. And we celebrate that. But here's something else you need to know. Not only was Christ crucified, but Paul says, me too. In fact, I've been crucified. And here's the principle. It's not me living. I no longer live. Paul is trying to teach you and I this art of dying to ourselves, that you and I have to put to death some things in our lives. Why? You know what? Because dead men don't get mad on Peach Street. Dead men don't gossip. Dead men, you know, don't, don't retaliate. Dead men don't harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. Dead men don't do that. Why? Because they're dead, right? And he says, I've been crucified. I don't hold this stuff anymore. And it's Christ who lives inside of me, the life I live in the body, that body that my body doesn't call the shots anymore. It's not about my, my desires. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what you know, churches call or, or pastors will call living the crucified life. So here's a title. If you want to write it down today, it's this, dying to live. Now, I heard one little amen, and I didn't hear any amens this morning either, okay? And I understand that. Because when I say dying to live, living the crucified life, here's what goes through people's mind. Really, Colby? Really, this is what we're going to talk about? Yeah. Because this is a principle that's all throughout Scripture. That, that this is the one thing that if you actually want to get free, if you actually want to stay rooted in this, this tree of life, of, of doing, you know, and serving God out of, out of delight and not out of duty, then this is how we do it. This is how you and I kill the excuse that says, I'm only human. Because that's only half right. If you're a follower of Jesus, yes, you are human, but you also have the spirit of God living inside of you. That's only half right. And so this is how we do it, you guys. This right here is the deep end. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew 16, verse 21. He said, from that time, that time meaning uh, when his ministry kind of was, was at its end, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that right here, he must be killed and raised on the third day. Jesus had to explain this to the disciples, and here's why. They thought that he was going to be a, an earthly king, not a heavenly king. They had this idea that he was going to be this, this kind of a, um, political savior. They thought that the Messiah would come and rescue them from Roman oppression, that this guy was gonna kick out you know, the, the, the Roman emperor, that was seated on the throne there in Jerusalem and that they were gonna take their rightful place. And why not, right? Because Jesus, after all, he's doing some amazing things. Like it's not that hard to believe that this is the guy that's gonna free us from this. So he's performing miracles. He has all this, this power, all this stuff going on. And if anyone could do it, Jesus could. So Jesus comes along though at this end of, a, end of his ministry and he drops this bomb and he says, hey, I'm not staying here. I'm gonna die 
I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. And that interrupted their plans. That interrupted what they thought was going to happen, which, by the way, you always know which tree you're in when your plans are interrupted. And you get mad about it. And you get bitter about it. And you make up all these excuses about it. It always reveals which gospel that you're living in. Because watch this, Peter, all right, Peter, who was the problem earlier too, here he is a problem again, took him aside and began, I always think this is just crazy, he began to rebuke Jesus. Like, really, Peter? The guy who walks on water? Like, the guy who fed, you know, thousands with a, with a, a two-piece and some whatever from Long John Silver's, that guy, you're going to call him out? Like, you're crazy, right? He says he pulls him aside and he rebukes him. And he says, never, Lord. And here, here in this moment, Peter is demonstrating what treason, by the way. He's demonstrating his, his uh, you know, this will never happen to you. This shall never happen to you. He says, and Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. And you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. In other words, man, you're, this is too much of yourself in this, Peter. This is too much of you. You're too alive in your own human nature. And then Jesus said this right here, and this is, this is the key. This is where Jesus introduces this concept that people that are going to live their life to the full, that people are going to, to live their life not based on their own desires, not based on their human desires, but that are practicing this, this discipline that needs to be in the church, that we need to practice. He introduces it and says this. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, that in order for you to really live, something has to die you really want to experience this full life, this life where you're constantly living in this, this grace that's available to you and not in this, this rules-based, hard-to-do kind of, of life, something has to die. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And I'm convinced, you can't tell me otherwise, that it's the lack of this discipline right here that has frozen people from ultimately following Jesus and finding real freedom. It's this right here. This idea of, of crucifying our lives, this idea of, of, of dying to live. And I think back, if, if I'd have started that, that Sunday morning out, you know, saying, God, hey, before, before I even leave here, I, I want to be, I want to get rid of some things in my own life. Like, God, give me, give me, your, give me your spirit. God, today I'm going to surrender that to you. And, you know, I know I'm going to forgive people. I know that it's Christmas season. And I'm going to forgive people in advance for being on Peach Street, driving crazy like that, all right? I'll do it in advance, God. I'm going to give that to you. If I said, God, you know, less of, less of me. God, fill me with patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and self-control. Give me your spirits. Like, it would have changed Everything had I put that to death before I drove out. And honestly, most people don't want to hear this message. Most of you, you, you want me to give you a message on how Peach Street can change, how everyone else can change. 
you're good, we're good, we're good. But God, we need to change everyone else. But I'll say it this way. Most of us want our situations to change where God wants our heart to change. And I can't be the person he wants me to be unless I put to death some things in my life. And neither can you. And I know it's tough. There are people in this room, you're, you're facing some tough situations. You're in a tough work situation. Maybe you're in a tough financial situation. Maybe you're married to a tough situation. Don't point, don't elbow. But I know it's tough. But the only way for us to get past that is not to always just pray to God to change our situations. And I do that too. But asking God to change our situations won't do it. Do you know why? Because I can drive on Peach Street with not a soul out there and still be mad and still be bitter, still be angry, right? All that kind of stuff. Because nothing's really changed in here. And this is what I need. I don't need my situation to change. Colby needs his heart to change. And in order for that to happen, something has to die. In fact, look, this is where Paul says in Romans 6, for we know that our old self, that old self was crucified. Again, we celebrate the cross of Jesus, but we need to experience some deaths in our lives. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That body of sin that we carry, that impatience, that anger, that frustration, that gossip, maybe it's an addiction, a, a sin habit that you, that, that's in your life, watch this, that we should no longer be slaves to it. No longer live in that, that sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. We, we, we sometimes say, that, man, this is, this is who I'm gonna be. I can't ever get rid of this thing. I'm always gonna battle this thing. Well, that's not really what God's word says. God's word tells us that if we have the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead living in us, then we are overcomers, that we can have victory. And here's what I know. People that always play the victim card never have victory. And we can have it in those areas in our life. And Paul shows us exactly how we do it. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. I want us to learn this, this principle, this idea of how, how we die to some things in order to truly live. And I want to give it to you straight from Galatians. All right, three, three quick points. This is going to be a good old-fashioned Baptist three-point sermon. I'm not Baptist, but I've heard it's three points and done, so... I'm just kidding. Three points. Based on the three times that Paul writes this word crucify in this letter to the Galatians. And every time, watch this, he means it to crucify a different area of our life. And you already had the first one. The first one says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. So write this first one down. I have to die to myself. The first area you need to die in order to live is dying to yourself. We need to arrive at that place, not, not where you just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I call you my, my savior and my Lord. Do you remember that day you did that, by the way? That you surrendered everything. He's saying it's not just this one-time event, but that every day you say, you know, I surrender myself to you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. And people would say, Colby, I've already done that. Do I have to do that again? 
You see, a lot of people will do it in the moment. Maybe they felt something at church. Maybe it was during a worship song. Maybe it was that moment you had those Holy Ghost kinds of goosebumps or whatever it was. And it was a real authentic, you know, surrendering your, your life. But can I share with you a beautiful principle? It's found in 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, I die, what's this word? Every day. Not just, not just the one time I said yes to Jesus, but every single day. Every day. Why? Because I know for at least Colby, one moment I can be over here in this tree of life, and the next moment I can be over here. One moment I could be praising God and worship, and the next moment over here, my sin nature just grabs a hold of me. So I need to die every day, die to myself daily. And Paul understood the secret that we have to come before God every single day. And much like the prayer you prayed, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, praying similar things like, God, today, once again, I surrender my life to you every single day. God, once again, I surrender my life to you. Take, take, my, take my will. God, once again, I, I, wanna, I wanna forgive people. Thank you for your forgiveness of my sins. Your Bible says, you know, you've, you've removed them as far as the east is from the west. I don't wanna live in that anymore. Thank you for your grace. God, once again today, I'm gonna get up and I'll let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. God, once again today, I get up and I, you've, you've said you've ordered the steps of a good man. So God, take my feet where you want me to go. God, let everything I put my hand do today you know, be, be that for your glory is working for you and not for anyone else. And when I do that every single day, it just changes my day. And what I've learned, at least for me, that prayer lasts for about 24 hours, like one day, that's it. Why? Because I can easily jump right back. And I think that's why Paul challenges us to do this every single day. In fact, something that I've adopted in my prayer life, just something I'll say continually, John 3.30 says, he must become greater and I must become less. Maybe your version says he must increase and I must decrease. Can I ask you a question? What would your life look like if really you started every day in that kind of posture and low before God? And say, God, less of me, more of you. Every single day. I don't know where he would lead you or what he would do in your heart and in your life. I do know what you wouldn't do. Hey guys, you wouldn't roll up at home after work, long day, all mad and grumpy, go inside and say, where's my dinner, woman? You wouldn't do that if you were constantly praying, God, less of me, more of you. It would be, Hey, honey, man, I've had a rough day. You probably have two. How can I help you? What can I do for you today? You wouldn't drive down 79, you know, all mad and angry and impatient and whatever, and somebody pulls up on you, you know, get ready to roll down your window like that. You wouldn't do that. What you do is say, man, come on around. I'm not in a rush. You know, God bless you. You need Jesus, but come on around. You have a good day. <laughs> I don't know where he would lead you, but I know about some things that he wouldn't lead you to. Some things that you wouldn't do if you and I would just get low every single day and say, God, less of me. So here's the action step. Write it down to dying to yourself daily. It's this word right here, humility. Write it down. 
you wouldn't think that this word holds a lot of power. There are few words that hold as much power as this right here. Having this posture of humility daily. Colby, how do I die to myself? Humility, humility. The second area we need to die to is our desires. Our desires. Look at it in Galatians 5, 25. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desire. What does that mean? It means that all of us have these desires and have these, these passions that the world is telling you and I to trust. In fact, it's the, it's the theology of today. Well, if it feels good, it's good. Well, if that's the way you feel, if that's, if that's how you're bent, if that's how you're wired, if, you know, trust your passions, trust your, your feelings, your desires. People will say this to me. They'll say, well, I'm not really an angry jerk. It's just, it's the Italian in me. Like, that's an excuse. I'm not an angry jerk. I'm from Jersey, you know, and that's just the Italian in me. No, it's not. That's, that's the flesh in you. That's the sin in you, right? Like, that's not the Italian in you. That's the idiot in you. That's what that is right there. I have nothing against Italian people. I love Italian people. I love all people. Or people will say, you know what? My, my, my mom was an addict. That's just who I am. My mom was an alcoholic. That's how she was wired. That's how I'm wired. That's just who I am. Or my dad was a cheater. My dad was a, a womanizer. I don't know. I just, I live with this. This is just who I am. No, it's not. You do not have to let your passions and your desires be your, your pre-deposition. Um, you don't have to let that happen. That's not who you are. But a lot of times we feel like, man, it's the way I feel. Then it's good, and that's what the world wants to tell you to do. But Paul says, no, we have to crucify those desires. We have to crucify those passions every day. And for me, this is not a one and done. And for some of you that are coming out of an addiction, you know, kind of lifestyle or, or that you're caught up in it now, you know this is not a one-time deal. This is every day, for some every hour, for others every single second. You're saying, God, free me. I need to stay in this tree and in this, this grace. Why? Because the enemy will make sure you come face to face with whatever that is every single day. Every single day of your, your life. So can I urge you to live by predetermined choices, not your impulsive feelings. Live by, live by principle, not by, by pressure, right? Live by convictions, live by standards that you've already said, I'm not doing that. And this is what I'm doing. I had some guy ask me this this weekend. Uh, we're down at Ohio Pile, you know, whitewater rafting and having a great time. You know, so some of you ladies, if your guys didn't make it back, maybe they died in the river. I don't know. But we had an awesome time. No, I think everyone's okay. But I had one guy ask me, he said, Colby, what, what's your opinion on such and such kind of thing? And I said, I don't, I don't have an opinion on that. I have God's word and I have the Holy Spirit telling me about that, right? And a lot of you, it's not on your opinions. It's not on, on your feelings. In fact, we need to make choices. I love this, this verse because a lot of people say, well, this is really hard to do. Isn't that kind of like, like, like living in this tree? No. And here's why. There's freedom on the other side. It might be difficult now, but there's freedom on the other side to make 
choices. Joshua 24, 15 says this, choose. I love that word, choose. It's not a feeling. It's a decision that you make. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Make a choice. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I love that, we will. See, this is not we will feel like. This is an act of will. That you've already made this this decision. So here's the key word. Here's the action word for dying to your desires. Write it down. Choices. And just make good choices. Make choices. And if you're unclear on what your choices should be, get in God's word. Like, I'm not your Holy Spirit. You have a Holy Spirit. Ask God's Spirit to lead you in this area of your life. Like, if I'm gonna die to myself, I gotta get low every day. Gotta humble myself. If I'm gonna make a die to my desires, I gotta make good choices because I know that the enemy is gonna attack me and I'm gonna come face to face with making some wrong ones every single day. And the last word is this. Write it down. The last place the word crucify happens is in chapter six. Paul talks about how we need to die to the world. Let's look at it in chapter six, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which he says the world has been crucified to me. And I love this, and I to the world. And I was thinking about that this morning. It's not just that I've, I've crucified some of these things in the world, some of this stuff that wants to pull me under. And Paul says, you know what? I refuse to let some of that stuff pull me down, to let some of that stuff get into my life, that I've made a decision. I don't go there. I don't do that. I don't buy into that, that I refuse to do that. But also it says the world has been, like, I've been crucified to the world. Like, I'm not a target of that anymore. Like, they know I refuse. I drew a line in the sand. And what Paul's saying to us is we need to have this this world kind of filter for our lives, not a world bubble, because some people want to live in a world bubble, God says we need to be in the world, just not, not of it, be, be in it, but don't let it get all up in you kind of thing. And we need to have this, this world filter where we decide, you know what, I just don't do that. I'm not letting that be a part of my, my life. And here's what I'm afraid of. Too many people have raised the white flag of surrender to the world and not taken a stand against it. And we need to take a stand. And Paul says, I've taken my stand. In fact, I've died to it. I've been crucified to the world. And you're not going to be a man or a woman of freedom. You're not gonna be a person that lives in this tree filled with grace and life all the time if you allow Drake to tell you how to live your life. If you you allow your marriage and relationship to be defined by 50 shades darker, Well, that's quiet up in here now. <laughs> you can't do it. And Paul says, you know what? I've, I've died to that. And you might say, Colby, well, how do I, how do I know? Because here's the question. And I can't answer this for you, but I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do it in just a minute. In fact, we'll have the keys come out right now because people say, Colby, well, how do I know where the line is for me? You don't need to tell me to tell you where the line is but you need to have a line. See, just like me, you have God's word and you have God's spirit. And all I know is if you want to remain in that tree of life, that that grace-filled life, like there better be a moment 
every single day where you say, God, less of me, more of you. There better be a moment every single day that you come in face to face with, with, with choices that you make and you, and you make good ones. Say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die to that desire, that passion that I have. And, and ultimately, better yet, maybe you say, I don't even go there. I don't even put myself in the position. Colby Atkins is physically incapable of staying in this tree and also not being crucified to this world. I will fall out like that. And so will you. And so here's the key word, the final word. And I know it's, it's 1221 and we went a little long, but here's what I'm asking you to do before I even read this, this last verse to you and give you this final word. Prepare yourself right now not to rush off. Prepare right now just to take a moment and say, all right, Colby's not my Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what, what are you saying to me? What are you showing me? What are the areas in my life that I need to die to in order to fully live? Because my goal is that we would all fully live. And this is how he says it. This is the final word. I'll show it to you. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Therefore, come out from them and be separate. If you are in Christ, you have been called out. You are separate. You have been pulled out and placed in this grace-filled tree of life. You've been placed here and you get to serve God out of, out of, out of love and compassion, out of this relationship that you have with them. He says, so come out and do it. Be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Write this word down, then close your eyes and bow your head. The word is separation. How do we die to the world? It's through separation. Understanding and knowing that God has called you to be his people, a royal priesthood. God has called you out. He set you apart. And some of you are still playing that game. We got one foot in and one foot out. And maybe today God's revealed to you through his spirit, where do I need to separate myself? So just in this moment, ask God's spirit. God, ask him three things. Where do I need to die to myself? God, where do I need to die to some of my desires? Some of you have been battling the same sin habit over and over and over. And I'm telling you, there's power in God's spirit to free you from that. But it is a battle. It is remaining vigilant and dying to that desire daily. And then maybe ask God, where do I need to die to the world? Think about how he can set you apart. And some of you today, while we're praying, as the Spirit is just speaking to your heart, some of you, what you need to die to is something you've never died to before, and that is yourself and surrendered all of your life to Christ. You've never made that decision to just give everything to him. And maybe for the first time you heard the true gospel, the life-giving gospel that, that God so loved you, everyone in this room, 
that he gave his son to die for you. And when you choose to follow him and trust in him, it's this life full of grace and love and relationship, not duty and obligation and you know all this other, this other stuff that we've made it out to be. It's that you get to do it. You get to serve and love God. He bursts inside of you this, this desire. And you say, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. Well, today is your day. Today is your day. The way we do that's through prayer. And you don't have to pray the same thing. I'm gonna pray with you. Just make this your own. It goes something like this. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I died to Colby. Put your name in there. I died to Bill. I died to Stacy. I died to, just, just put your name in there. And I choose to live for you, Jesus. And I accept that death that you, that you died for me on the cross. And I put my trust that you are my savior. And from this moment, I choose to follow you. I repent of my sin. And I die to all that. And every day, I'm gonna do my best to continually die to that and follow you in Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you prayed that with me today, would you raise your hand? Just lift it up high and be proud about that. I just wanna celebrate with you. Awesome, praise God for you. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com. 